Welcome back to the Red Dice Diaries, I'm your host John, and in this episode we're going to be listening to some of your lovely voicemails. And our first voicemail received is from longtime friend of the show, Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Take it away, Jason. Hey John, Jason here. Great episode on zines. I agree, zines are a great little way to do it. I think we're, you know, with the zine quest, you have to be a little careful. You got some people that are doing things that are really aren't zines and calling them zines in there. But for the most part, zines, especially in their pure form, are essential to the DIY part of this hobby. And, you know, a great outlet for people that don't want to write a whole book or don't want to submit an article to a magazine. It lets them do that kind of thing. And, you know, they're really great. I've supported zine quest to a large degree in the past. Not so much lately. I'm cutting back on things myself, but there are still a lot of really cool creators out there doing a lot of really cool things, and I encourage people to check them out. Thanks very much, Jason. Glad you enjoyed the zine episode. And yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Zines are great for a number of other reasons. And to use an art analogy, because I did a bit of art and illustration back in the day, if you were going to like start off, even the great artists doing like a big painting, like an oil painting or something like that, you'd probably do like a few little sketches and little sort of preparatory pieces first before you jumped into the main thing so even if you do want to write a big book or something like that zines are a great way to trial out some of those concepts and you know get your feet wet and sort of dabble around a little bit and sort of sort a few things out without just jumping straight into the often massive expense that creating a book can lead to basically so i think they're also a good proving ground for people who do eventually want to go on to writing books and also as you say it gives people a lot of creative control if you're making your own zine you're beholden to no one but yourself as to the content of that zine and i would hope that if the content is good and usable by people that will be recognized and it might lead on to other things and next up we have spencer aka free thrall from keep off the borderlands Take it away, Spencer. Hi, John Spencer here. I just wanted to thank you for that episode about Electric Bastion Land. And thank you for um, giving my podcast a shout out and redirecting people over to listen to my episode about Electric Bastion Land. And I have to say I'm flattered that it encouraged you to reappraise the book itself and it has now been rescued from the the possible sale pile and um yeah i do get the criticisms you know there's a lot of art which there's a lot of art which i know you don't necessarily appreciate um the use of large fonts and space does appear to make the book larger than it might need to be personally i find the layout very helpful for me as i do struggle a bit with reading but i have found that if you take sections of the book and print them out as a5 booklets it works very well indeed so you might want to try playing around with that anyway great episode Thanks for the shout out and uh, looking forward to more great stuff coming from Red Dice Diaries. Cheers. Thanks, Spencer. I'm glad you enjoyed the episode and not a problem about giving you a shout out to have And as I've said before in previous episodes, if anyone's not listened to Keep Off the Borderlands, and there'll be a link to that and all the other callers who have podcasts and whatnot in the description of this show, I highly recommend you go and do so and listen to the other podcasts as well you know a rising tide lifts all boats as they say and i think it's a good thing to 
occasionally reappraise books, uh, things like that, that maybe haven't appealed to you on a first glance. And in fact, it's one of the reasons, not the only one, but it's one of the reasons why I'm often a little reluctant and a little bit slow to get rid of bits of my collection or sell stuff on, because I often find that books that I've maybe not looked at for a while, I'll see someone else's thoughts on them, which will sort of frame them in a light that perhaps I didn't consider as happened with Spencer's great episode on Electric Bastion. Andy made some really good points, and I went back and looked at it, and I was like, yeah, actually, do you know what? I'm not I'm not saying it's the perfect book for me, but I can now see more value in it for myself, and I can see why other people enjoy it so much. And as I say, I'll often go back and sort of look over old books, and sometimes I will find stuff that I missed or that I didn't pick up on when I first read the books and put them on my shelf. So I'm a little bit reluctant to get rid of uh, books i suppose because i'm always worried you know i'll get rid of something and then later on i'll think oh yeah that book would have been really good to use in this aspect of my game or for this particular thing that's in it but unfortunately i am facing the dread specter of limited bookshelf space and i am gonna have to get rid of some books soon but i'm going through a lengthy sort of winnowing down and uh sort of narrowing down a process at the moment before I make the, the final decision on what I'm going to get rid of. But thank you very much for your kind words, Spencer. Glad you enjoyed the episode. And next up, we've got a call from Ron of Ron Talks Tabletop. Go ahead, Ron. Hey, John. I want to talk about two of your recent topics, both on the OSR October and giving your sessions a title. For the old school games, they're kind of related, actually, because I'm running Adventure Conqueror King right now with two players, and I've been using the Hyperborea Adventure Generator since I'm running a Sword and Sorcery game, and it's been working great. And in, in that Adventure Generator, there are titles. And so what I would do is I'd roll up two quick adventures. I would give the, the group a choice of one of, of the two, and the one that they're most excited about, I will I flush out into an adventure, and that method has been working great. And I think in part because because of the titles. Hi, Ron. Thanks very much for the call. I'm glad to hear that titling your session is working so well in your games, your games of adventure, Conqueror King. I've got to admit, I've got a copy of quite a few of the books for Axe, but I've not actually got round to running that particular flavour of old school D&D yet, although I hope to give it a go at some point in the future. I like the idea of this uh, Hyperborean adventure generator that you're talking about. Uh, is that actually in sort of a Astonishing Swords and Swordsman of Hyperborea, or just Hyperborea as it's called now, or is it a separate thing? It's either something I've missed in the, the Hyperborea books, or it's elsewhere, or it's escaping my notice. It's a bit late when I'm recording this. But yeah, if you could uh, drop a call and let me know where I can find that, I'd be much obliged. I really love the idea of rolling up a couple of adventures, seeing like maybe at the end of a session, seeing where the player characters want to go, and then you know what you've got to do to prepare. Um, my GM, Johannes, who's running a Stars Light number game for us at the moment, does a similar thing with a, a sort of bounty slash jobs board where I have like two or three little things on there with a brief description. We then like pick what we want to go and do next time, and thus he knows what to prepare. 
and obviously we get a better game in return so yeah let me know where i can find that i'd love to look into that a bit particularly for when after i've wrapped up my current finite vampire campaign i do want to get back to running some fantasy possibly with a swords and sorcery flavor but anyway let's get back to ron and see what else he's got to say secondly i'm actually playing old school games after playing D D. 5e for a long time not that i've given up on it but the old school style of gaming has been really refreshing for me um, i'm running axe right now um, i was previously playing an old school essentials game until the group got too large and um i left but it's just been fantastic and it's been enjoyable hearing your thoughts on the the osr and maybe i'll do a video on uh, osr myself Thanks. Take care. Again, thanks very much, Ron. I'm glad to hear that you're really getting into that old school vibe of game. And yes, certainly for myself, it was something of a revelation when I stumbled across it. And it's a style of that sort of simplified sort of a judgment call style of gaming. I've been thoroughly enjoying it as both a player and as a GM. And I'd highly recommend to anyone to give it a try. I'm sure it's not for everyone, but I've certainly really enjoyed it and lots of people I speak to seem to enjoy it. If you do put up a video about the OSR, Ron, send me a link and I'll make sure I give that a shout out on a future episode of the podcast. And obviously I will put a link to all the various callers to this episode down below, as I've said earlier. And next up, we've got another call from Jason. Hey, John. Great episode on playing NPCs. Getting ready to start up a Palladium Fantasy game. Very, very infrequent. <laughs> It'd be a combination, you know, doing a lot of things online, kind of play-by-post per se in the forums, and then maximizing our session times. But I'll definitely put some of that advice to use. So great job. The other thing I do for NPCs is I like to find a picture of an actor this is for the important NPCs, not the unimportant ones, but you, you find a picture of an actor and that way you can throw it up there. That way the, the, or you describe them looking like that actor if you don't want to throw a picture up, but that, that way people can get an idea in their mind and it helps you kind of do the mannerisms and remember the mannerisms. It's kind of cliche, but it, but it works. And, and, and I found that works out pretty good for me. The other thing I do, of course, with NPCs is I, I keep a, a name, list there next to me so if they come across npc i can just go to the next name of the list you know of whatever gender and check it off and keep going instead of trying to agonize my brain over what the name is so take care and i'll talk to you soon thanks again jason yeah i agree putting up a picture of an npc can be a great aid to the characters sort of getting a feeling for that particular character one of the things i like to do i know AI art has been quite controversial recently, but one of the uses I've found for it, and obviously I'm not selling it or using it in books or whatever in this case, is for NPCs. I can go on something like Midjourney, type in a rough description of the NPC and portrait, and then get a number of pictures which I can pick and choose from. And I don't have to design it myself, nor spend ages crawling through the internet looking for it. So that's certainly the main use I've been finding for AI artwork. 
As for coming up with names for NPCs, yeah, having a list of names or a generator can be a real boon to the GM. Personally, because I run most of my games online, I tend to have on one of my monitors a random name generator open, so I can just click a button and come up with a whole plethora of names if my players want to speak to some random NPC. For example, my vampire game at the moment, set in Venice, I use the storyshack.com, and I'll try and remember to put a link to this Italian name generator, and you can generate, I think, six at a time, random male or female names, and I just normally, if they come across an NPC, click on male or female, depending on what gender the NPC is, and then mix and match some of the names and just throw them out there, and it saves me an awful lot of trouble when I'm running my games. But I think Jason's got a little bit more to say. Just want to say that I enjoyed your Zone Map episode on podcast. That might not be the exact title, but you know the one I mean. And, you know, I think Zone Maps are really good, even if you do... So I normally run Theatre of the Mind, but Zone Maps are really handy even for Theatre of the Mind because whether you as a GM just manage it yourself to help track where everybody is, or you throw it up on the screen on a whiteboard or something like that with, you know, little tokens to show people, it it still helps people kind of orientate themselves, but you're not worried about measuring, you know, I can move six inches kind of thing, right? So I, I think zone maps are really versatile, whether you're using tactical movement or you're doing theater of the mind, I, I think they can really help. So great job. Great episode. Looking forward to your next one. Thanks again, Jason. Yeah, obviously I agree. Zone maps are very useful. And like you say, it just helps generally people to orientate themselves when it comes to where people are into general positioning compared to natural hazards, other NPCs, monsters, and stuff like that, without necessarily having to delve down into the actual sort of tactical mapping level but certainly for me they're a great time saver because it saves me it's very easy if you're a player and even if you're a gm when there's a very hectic sort of fast-paced scene going on and you know you're trying to describe a million things a minute and keep track of loads of npcs it can become easy for some of those details to slip your mind and you have to repeat yourself and describe where people are again and refresh your memory and stuff like that whereas just having a very simple zone map which takes very little time to create can sort of circumvent the need for a lot of that sort of redescription and going over stuff you've already covered so for my money it's more than worth the effort and next up we've got another call from spencer hey john spencer here and I know you're a little late to the OSR October party. I'm also a little bit late answering my voicemails. But you are really knocking it out of the park, especially with um, uh, The Magical Industrial Revolution. That is one of my favourite books by Skirples, one of my favourite creators. Um, Just uh, so much information in there, but listening to you talk about it has sold it to me all over again, despite the fact that I clearly already own it. But I will be pulling that out and pouring through it once more. Just such a wealth of information in there. And also great to see you uh, pulling out the Principa Apocrypha there. Um, Another great and interesting resource. Um, just, Just some really cool stuff from you john and i'm really looking forward to what you come out with next take care thanks very much spencer although listening back to that i'm not sure that i haven't already featured this voicemail in a previous episode but you know what i'm not going to apologize for featuring it again if i have 
because Magical Industrial Revolution by Skirpfuls is an amazing book. I love the idea of that it it doesn't take place in a sort of post-apocalyptic scenario. It takes place in the run-up to the apocalypse, this magical industrial apocalypse. But it's not your normal, oh, the world's breaking down, everything's gone terrible. It's the advance of magical technology, which isn't something that's covered a lot in many books I've read, That and how it's going to potentially lead to these strange apocalyptic scenarios that really makes it an interesting new slant on things like that. And I highly recommend you go out and check that out if you've not already had the good fortune to purchase or read a copy of it. Thank you very much for your kind words, Spencer. I'm aware that OSR October is well and truly in the rearview mirror now, and I didn't manage to do an episode every day as much as I would have liked to, but I thoroughly enjoyed the episodes I did put out and listening to other people's episodes. So I think that was a great idea, and whoever came up with it, I forget who it is now, kudos to them, and hopefully maybe we'll do something similar in the future. And next up, we've got another call about Electric Bastion Land. Hey, John. Aaron, NPC. Uh, just listened to your Electric Bastion Land and uh, made me think about the game Mouse Ritter, which I have not had the opportunity to run, but have enjoyed reading. It feels incredibly OSR and is also built on Into the Odd. So if you haven't had a chance to read that, I highly recommend it. And I would love to hear from you or anyone else who has been running it. Thanks very much, Aaron. Yeah, I've got to say, I don't own a copy of Mouse Ritter. I have heard a couple of my friends who are big fans of it, but I've not yet had an opportunity to play or run it myself. However, although I'm trying to sort of thin down my collection a little bit at the minute, you never know, I may get around to running it in the future. So thank you very much for your recommendation, and I'm glad you enjoyed the Electric Bastion Land episode. And finally, to round things off, like the closed circle returning to the beginning, we round off with our final call from Jason. Take it away, Jason. Hey, John. Jason here. Sorry to send you a message this way. It's easier to record on my phone because SpeakPipe doesn't like to keep recording if I leave that screen. <laughs> I was going to recommend for skills, look at what uh, Kevin Crawford has done with his games, and, and I'm most familiar with Scarlet Heroes. So if we look at Scarlet Heroes, everybody has what's called traits. And I'll just read a section of the book here. The next step in creating your hero is to choose traits, those particular backgrounds, skills, and aptitudes that set them apart from others of the same profession. Most characters receive three points to spend on their traits, plus whatever the class or race might grant. Traits are a few words to describe something the character has been or is good at doing. Former City Watchman, for example, or Mighty Thews, or Erudite Scholar, or Fleet-Footed. Almost any description can serve as a trait, although it's up to the GM to limit those phrases that cover too much ground or imply a pass that doesn't fit with the game. You can add your highest relevant trait to any checks or saving throws your hero might make. Both checks and saving throws are rolled on 2d8, to which you add your relevant attribute modifier and your highest relevant trait. Saving throws also add your character's level. If the total is equal or less is equal or higher than the difficulty number determined by the GM, you succeed in accomplishing the act or evading the dangers. So, I, I mean, that's basically it. it. It also talks about the scope of each trait should be clear to both you and the GM. A pirate reaver might apply his trait while sailing, swimming, drinking, bad liquor, climbing ropes, identifying trips, or identifying ships, or dealing with other pirates, but he wouldn't gain it when trying to trade an honest cargo or organizing a land militia 
or organizing a militia group on land. Man, I can't talk today. Traits do not apply to combat roles, such as to hit or damage dice. Someone with veteran soldier trait might know a great deal about weapons, military organization, dealing with fellow soldiers, and training recruits, but when their, seer, when their sword clears their scabbard, they're as reliant on their base attack bonus as anyone else. And, and it talks about other things in here, then it goes into different traits for different races and groups in the game and all. But Scarlet Heroes is what I'd recommend you take a look at, John. I think it's really simple. It really follows the Barbarians of Lemuria idea that it's pretty wide encompassing. But it's not overpowering because effectively it's only giving them... You have three points for traits when you start the game. You'll get more as you go up in levels. But you're only adding a point or two to each roll. So it's not overpowering. But it, it definitely gives the flavor of that that pirate character is going to be better at piratey things. And I really like that in my games. So anyhow, great episode. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks very much, Jason. That sounds like a really interesting idea. I've got to admit that that's not one of Kevin Crawford's games that I'm intimately familiar with. I'm a big fan of Kevin Crawford, and I believe I do have a copy of Scarlet Heroes in PDF, but I've not read it for some time. Although I am more familiar with Stars Without Number and Worlds Without Number, his sci-fi and sort of big fantasy games. In fact, I'm playing in a Stars Without Number game at the moment, and that sounds like it uses a similar system, just with a little bit more complexity than Scarlet Heroes, whereas, as you rightly say, from my recent episode where I'm talking about trying to slide a bit of skills and a bit of variety into my OSR games, I am looking to keep it as simple as possible uh, with a minimal of additional rules fussing. And I'm currently looking at a lot of different games like EZD6, Index Card RPG, Barbarians of Lemuria, all manner of different stuff that's based on D&D that I can potentially sort of magpie-like yoink rules from and weld together into some monstrous Frankenstein of a simplified system that nonetheless has a little bit more variety which seems to be what the players in my particular group are after so I will certainly throw Scarlet Heroes into that mix and thank you very much for the recommendation so that's it for this voicemail episode thank you to all my wonderful callers if you've enjoyed this episode please share it with other people or give it a review or whatever's appropriate it really does help spread the podcast and get those lessons up if you would like to get in touch with us and perhaps be featured in a future voicemail response episode like this you can do so in a few different ways you can send us a voicemail episode using either speakpipe or anchor there'll be a link in the description down below or you can send us an email to rddrpgpodcast at gmail.com so until we see you again take care stay safe and whatever you're playing out there have fun.